Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pat and John on their best behavior. I'm John. And I'm Pat. And I gotta say, there's a, there's a lot of skin showing um, on, on today's episode of the podcast. Um, obviously, this is mostly an audio uh, program, but you can get little little snippets of the visual aspect if you go to our Instagram. But if you're not interested in that, let me just describe the scene for you. Um, I am wearing a tank top, which is like pretty par for the course the while classic I'm recording. Lemay yeah, the cl- tank top. <laughs> classic. Yeah, I got 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 the tats, got the arm tats uh, showing. Um, Pat, on the other hand, is as far as I can tell, not wearing a single stitch of clothing uh, above the torso. And uh, why is that, Pat? I care about the audio in the background. Sure. <laughs> you know, I just care about the audio in the background. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for the for the listener at home. Um, the Irish aren't designed for these climates. No, 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 no. They're, 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 they're designed for harsh climates in other aspects, like harsh emotional climates. Sure, um, sure. Sure. But yeah, not not this. Yeah, so we we turn our fans off, and it turns and... out that that Guinness dehydrates you. <laughs> right. Yeah, and Pat had three before we started recording today. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we just so we just so you know how much we care about you, the listener, um, and your experience. Uh, we always turn off our fans and close our windows while we are recording, um, which as of late, has been really, really difficult because, um, hot take, it's really, really fucking hot out right now. <laughs> um, so it's, but it's funny, Pat actually asked me if it would be okay if I, if he didn't wear a shirt while recording. And I didn't say this at the time, but it actually is because I am actually not wearing pants at the moment. Pat doesn't <laughs> know this, but, um, I am not wearing pants. Don't worry, I'm wearing boxers. Uh, I'm not going full, you know, Jeffrey Tubin. uh, on the... <laughs> On the podcast, um, though he's 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 back at CNN apparently. So if I did, I mean, sure, what's the worst that could happen? Sure. Um, sure. But yeah, but we hope that you're all staying cool. They need all the help they can get. They truly, yeah. Well, that's a, that's a subject <laughs> for another day. Um, but we hope everyone is staying cool and staying healthy, uh, especially to any of our listeners uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, apparently, things are really tough there. Quite a few guests from the PNW. Quite a few listeners from the PNW. Please take care of yourselves. Yeah, Please. as of right now, it doesn't look like it's quite as overcast as uh, Twilight makes it out to be no. um, every single day. <laughs> um, so yeah, they need a little bit more Twilight in their in their life. Um, yeah, but Twilight's let's get looking like the Searchers right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can't talk about that movie, Pat. Um, uh, so let's just get to it. We have a lot that we have to cover today. Um, so. Let's do a little bit of a background on how we arrived at the subject for the episode that we're doing right now. Um, So we decided that it would be cool to cool. It would be nice. People might like it if uh, none of this is cool. Um, uh, If we record an episode in which we sort of talked about the albums that have shaped our music taste or have shaped us as listeners of music. Um, That was the original plan. And Pat, how did you feel just before we get to like what we actually ended up deciding to do? How did you feel about your original five, like the process of selecting five albums that shaped your taste? Well, I think I mentioned this. It's like I could only I I had to go with my gut and just send you the text Right. Because if I spent too much time looking at it, it was just going to be a fucking disaster. 
Yeah. I was going to be like, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? I even, like, tried not to look at my phone either. Sure. Because I knew I was going to be like, oh, what about this one? Or, oh, what about this one? You know, so right, it's like. Right, 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 right. Yeah. It was pretty agonizing for me as well. But I also think it's more interesting because these things are impossible to just, like, go with gut instincts. Go totally. with your first choice. Yeah, because inevitably you do, you forget things that, or you lose sight of things that really should be up there. Yeah, Yeah, so I think we both kind of felt that way. We both felt kind of bad about the list that we sent one another. Mm. And it turned out that uh, it actually, so next week is a a busy week for our dear uh, Patrick Kressup-Stanny. So (laughs) we decided that it would be good to maybe um, sort of load up on, on episodes for this week and for next week. And we decided that... We would do this in two parts. So this is the first of two parts um, uh, of of our explorations of the albums that have shaped um, our tastes. And it works out well because that allows us to include more albums. So originally we were going to do five albums that kind of like capture our entire trajectory as listeners of music. But mm. now we're deciding to, to chop it up into two halves. So uh, today we're going to be talking about sort of albums that maybe range from like us as listeners of music in middle school to like beginning of college. Mm -hmm. And then our next episode is going to be focused on albums from beginning to middle of college to the present day. So that's the general summation of what we're doing. Uh, But I got to say, and if you knew us from that range (laughs) of, you know, uh, 15 or so years, you know, we were some cool cats. <laughs> yeah, you are in for, for some doozies here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I got to say, I still feel pretty ter- terrible about, like, the albums that I've chosen. Like, I've been second-guessing myself, like, sure. ever since I sent you the list. But I'm just going to go with it, yeah. um, and I'm going to yeah. sort of, like, see see how this goes. John, before we start, I want to say thank you for showing up. Oh, you're welcome, Pat. Thank you for showing up. And you are enough, and the albums are enough. Oh, Thank you. I appreciate that. You and your and your bare chest is absolutely <laughs> enough just by itself. And the albums, the albums are fine, too. Um, yeah. So as ever, we're going to listen to um, some some tunes from these albums as well. Um, and this is a pretty momentous event, similar to something like, you know, uh, the Super Bowl. And so I thought that the best way to start it off rather than deciding um, amongst ourselves would be to do a little coin flip. Oh, and uh, so that way we can decide who's going to go first. So, um, Pat, I'm deciding you are the away team. So you get to, to pick <laughs> heads or tails. Heads. Heads. OK, so this is this is a regulation coin. As you can see, there's there's heads. And, it's not uh, a Bitcoin. It's not a Bitcoin. No, I don't <laughs> even know what that is. And Pat, I don't want you to explain it. Uh, and that's uh, that's tails. This is a Kentucky quarter. OK. And uh, and you said, wait, what did you say again? Heads. Heads. OK. It is heads. So you get to decide <laughs> who goes first. I'll go first. I'll go first. You'll go first. All right. Okay. So tell us about just set the scene in terms of what like what area or era of your life or identity sure. as a listener this is covering, and then um, and then we can just introduce the album. Sure. So the album. Okay, it's fifth grade. <laughs> fifth grade. I'm uh, eleven years old. Um, it's a spring of fifth grade and I am going on a ski trip Mm. and the brand was strong from early on. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and I had this babysitter back then who had a son. And her son was, I want to say he was a sophomore in college. Okay. So he was quite older than me. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was the coolest kid ever. He was in a band. He was really into gaming. Mm. He was just like, he, it was just, he was, it was very impressionable on me as a, as a youngster. Sure. And sometimes he would like, he was in high school, but he would like come over while um, his mom would like, just like watch me. She really didn't watch me. I just like played video <laughs> games and she was right. just, like, reading a book in the corner. Right. Um, and he told me about this band called Anti-Flag and they are from my city of Pittsburgh. Right. And I remember going to Borders and at Borders back in the day, you could try out albums Oh yeah, you can them. scan them underneath the <laughs> yeah that that little yeah. It listened to like thirty had, seconds of them. They had this album loaded, and I listened to the first song, and this is I guess my first example of anything sort of reactionary. Mm-hmm. Long story short, Anti Flag is a very they're they're not even leftists. They're anarchists. Yeah. Right. And in 2003, they made an album about, you know, that's an anti-Iraq war album, but it's also about trade and NAFTA and Mm -hmm. NATO and a lot of anti-George W. Bush stuff. And listening to this album was so influential. I mean, it was the first time I had ever read swear words. Mm-hmm. Because it was this beautifully constructed uh, lyric book in the CD mm-hmm. oh, sheet. The glory days. And each page was like different and different fonts and different sizes. And there was the F word and the S word. Um, and I was just like, I felt like I shouldn't be listening to this. Mm-hmm. But it Were was you technically also... allowed to? Well, my parents didn't let me listen to stuff with... um. Parental advisory stickers, but they got away with it because they're like they're on an indie label. Oh, okay. Yada yada. Gotcha. Um. So yeah, and it was just so reactionary. It was like the it's very. It's it was like fuck George Bush, fuck the Iraq War, which is like something that like I was very in tune with because of the house I was living in. (laughs) Sure. Um. But also, it was also you know. I grew up in a really, really, really conservative part of Western Pennsylvania, so everyone around me was very pro-Iraq war. Right. I mean, kids, it's so funny how this shit just comes from your parents through the kids. John, you'll relate to this. <laughs> I was, was going to say. There was a, there was a kid in my, uh, in my fifth grade class who was like, oh yeah, they found some weapons of mass <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they found some shells. <laughs> they found um, some, some discarded shells in the desert. <laughs> And um, I think we should just listen to the first song. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is uh, this is Turncoat from Anti Flag, and the album is what's the album called? The, the Terror State. The Terror State. Ah, little little irony. We love it. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> Were you playing guitar at this point? No, I oh, wish okay. though. 
I did, I knew someone at a summer program that I went to like sophomore year of high school who was really into anti-flag and um, I, that was my first exposure to them but I was not particularly into them for obvious reasons. So I want you to picture um, the transition from Good Charlotte to this. Yeah, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, a little more dramatic heft to, uh, to the lyrics, a little oh more stakes God. involved. And if you look at the uh, the album art, it is um, a child soldier, right? Um, Who's the singer's the, the singer's um, sister? I I read uh, she yeah, was the yeah. she was on the the cover of it. Yeah, yeah, and um, that was like very haunting for me. That was like sure. very disturbing to me. Um, and that definitely kind of made me feel like very existential. Mm. Um, so would you say that it kind of just like it allowed you to realize just the amount of like stakes that can exist in music yeah um, and i also and like that songs like, can actually be about something i'm always gonna want something with some bite sure like i'm sure. always gonna be attracted to art with like a little bit of bite yeah and this this album is like absolutely full of it um yeah it's it's also just weird like as a political thing where where it actually feels like they were fighting the good fight, fighting Bush, whereas, like, anybody fighting Trump, that didn't feel like the good fight. Like, yeah. in hindsight, yeah. people should have fought Bush harder. Right, And right. people should have fought Trump le- not as hard. <laughs> yeah, or at least not not have presented themselves as being, like, super brave truth-tellers, because, right, like, you're, right, there's, no, right, there's no real right, risk right. involved in any of that. No, I mean, Whereas, were... like, Michael Moore was being booed, like, at the Oscars, like, sure, for... Sure, sure, sure. No, well, the, that's all over the... They also had, like, facts on every lyrics sheet about, right. like, getting Congress to vote on the Iraq War, or not getting Congress to vote on the Iraq War, like... Well, this is really early, too. This is 2003. Yeah. Like, they're really yeah. getting in, like, you yeah. know... At the ground level of all this. Similar to how the Bush administration got in at the ground level of the Twin Towers. (laughs) (laughs) Jet fuel can't melt steel beams? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Check out our previous episode to hear more about that. Um, Awesome. Should we move on to... uh, to, Yes, please. Okay, so I went a very different direction on my pick, but I also... So this is early middle school... And um, I also uh, brought in an album that was formative in terms of a, a, a punk-esque album, mm-hmm. uh, a punk-adjacent album that was formative in terms of developing my understanding of what music can be. And however, instead of being a punk album from the perspective of, of anarchists and leftists and liberals and stuff like that, I, of course, had to bring in a Christian pop-punk album. And that album is called Mm-hmm by the Christian pop punk band Reliant K. And I'll just play a little bit of it before I say uh, what this did for me. This song is entitled Who I Am Hates Who I've Been. The brand was really strong. I watched the proverbial sunrise coming up over the Pacific end. You might think I'm losing my mind, but I will shy away from the specifics. Cause I don't want you to know. So a little different than uh, anti flag in some ways. 
so you can hear. You can. Oh, go ahead, Pat. I, I just like the production on both of these songs is yeah. extremely high. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I I know people probably roll their eyes when we talk about like the mixing of these albums, but it's like, oh my god. Yeah, pretty immaculately produced. Um, well, and that's like, that's part of what makes this album stand out so much to me. Um, so yeah, so this album came out in uh, 2004, and I I would have been around 11, 12 um, when when I first heard it, and mm. I had been listening to like music pretty like relentlessly uh, for a while at this point, and I've been listening to I've been listening to Reliant Cave for a while at this point. So they had two previous albums. Um, the Anatomy of the Tongue-in-Cheek, and uh, Two Lefts Don't Make a Right, But Three Do. And I enjoyed those albums, but I I, I noticed that I would of, I would oftentimes have to, like, skip a lot of songs to get to the ones that I wanted. And, like, I just knew when I first heard this album that, like, I noticed that they, like, brought their artistry to, like, a higher level. It's, like, a little more... It's more serious. There's more, like, layers to the music it's better Mm. produced and it really felt like it was a more mature album and i felt better listening to it and i just remember like that injecting a certain level of intentionality into like my listening at that point it still had like a lot i had a long way to go obviously like later on but i just remember this just being like a thing where i was like oh i know that this is a much better album than the ones that came before it and Were were you playing guitar then um this would have been right around the time i had started playing guitar maybe like a year before okay but i do remember learning some of these songs on on guitar um but yeah i also just remember like i remember this being on like this had like some mainstream success Mm. um this song was on mtv also um another song called be my escape was on mtv and Uh, like because there were like these it's the kind of thing where like the lyrics are very christian and there are some songs that are super christian but they're just like like that song we just listened to it is about like a person coming to terms with like their sinful nature and like repenting but it could also be like taken as just like a song about regret and you know not liking the person that you are and wanting to be better um yeah, but this that... is John LeMay as an eleven-year-old. I, <laughs> I mean, know. that really spoke to where I was at that point in my faith, um, and just like that sort of contemplative, more serious way of like looking at, at these types of things was, yeah, very much reflective of, of who I was as a person back then. Um, so yeah, so I, I mean, I still I still maintain that this album fucking slaps. I think it's a great pop punk album. Sure. Um, uh, and yeah, mm-hmm, by Reliant K. That, that was where it was. That's where it was at for uh, 11, 12 year old John LeMay. Um, all right. Now we're moving into uh, Pat's second pick. So what do you want to say about this one, uh, Pat? Um, yeah. So this is um, the tail end of high school. I want to say senior year. Um it was hard to find, figure out an album that was like really influential as for like my taste and vibe and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, so this album came to me the summer between junior and senior year. I was experiencing all of this kind of, uh, like both a physical transformation and, uh, an emotional transformation. I was like getting sure. really into acting. I was like 
gaining more confidence with with girls oh boy um (laughs) (laughs) um, what happened with that i (laughs) take a take a number um (laughs) and uh i had just done this like acting program with all these like very cool talented kids from across the country and um I remember getting this album because my mom was a librarian in the uh, Carnegie library system. So I could basically take out whatever stuff I wanted and have no uh, due date. Um, Wow. That's a flex. The wild Um, west. And what I would do, did you ever do this? You take a CD from the library and then you rip it onto your iTunes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, no, not really because, um, I, I would borrow uh, al- uh, albums from people, but because I was only listening to Christian music at the time I was going to the library, sure. uh, you wouldn't really be able to find the stuff that I wanted at the library. Sure, um, but sure. yes, but in theory, sure. yes, I'm very into that. So this album is called Is This It by The Strokes. And it was kind of like the first kind of like snobby, cool New York-esque thing that i was exposed to um sure. and uh i would go to new york for the first time very soon after this um and it was just kind of like a i was just just the effortless vibe the hair the sort of uh leather jackets that was all very impressionable on me sure yeah and this is the summer where i i, I you know because it was like i had asthma my whole life and I was trying to figure out a way to be rebellious. Right. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm going to smoke cigarettes. Wow. Um, Truly a different time. So I would, uh, when I turned 18, I would like, I smoked like five cigarettes that summer, which was like the most rebellious thing I'd ever done. Right. <laughs> and I would listen to this album. Um, and those are the last cigarettes that you ever smoked. Honestly, they were absolutely <laughs> the last cigarettes I smoked. Um, so yeah, let, let's just listen to Someday. Okay. Yeah, they're true, uh, true two thousands indie royalty. same album that had reptilia on it or is that a different album that's the second album okay gotcha but you know why i also really like this album because i could sing it without like hurting my voice sure yeah yeah, yeah. this is the best song to just whip my car to oh yeah absolutely uh, ripping your car uh senior year of high school oh yeah uh, yeah i i um it took me a little while to get into this album. I sort of, like, balked at just, like, how omnipresent it was, like, in a lot of, like, indie music circles. Well, we should we... say, well, I should say, 
This is I'm listening to this album nine years after it came out. Right, right, right. I didn't right. mention that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but for me, I like you know as I talked about on my um, on the Bonnie Vare episode, like I kind of like had a complicated relationship with like indie that sort of like world of like sure. indie music for a while. So I kind of like resisted it for a long time. And then I finally listened to it and I was like, oh, there's a reason why this is like on like all of like these, you know, number one album of the decades, like yeah. list from the 2000s. <laughs> um, yeah. Great album. Strokes. Uh, there's some nice, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're Bernie bros. They played at the, uh, they played at his, uh, a bunch of his campaign, uh, campaign stops during the primary. And you listen to them anyway. <laughs> yeah, and it worked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that was when Pat stopped listening. That was Pat. That was when Pat burned his uh, his copy of "Is This It." Yeah, I said, "Why aren't they playing for Michael Bloomberg <laughs> right. from New York City?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, okay. Awesome. We'll move on to uh, my next album. So I am. This is kind of like representing like late middle school, like beginning of high school, and. Mm. At this point, I had started listening to secular music um, as I... Sexual music? Uh, well, that, but <laughs> uh, it took a little while to get to that. But I had at least started listening to secular music, uh, by which I mean music that is not Christian. Um, and there there were some other, like, albums. I should also say that, like, we're we're really talking about, like, albums that have shaped us. So, like, there are plenty of artists that I think I could also... I could cite as being super formative, but, like... I'm just thinking of like, and maybe this was the case for you too, but I'm just thinking of like particular albums that like I just found myself like revisiting that really shaped my understanding. So I feel like this album is really was huge for me in terms of like, once again, like exposing me to like what music could be and getting me to think about like just how dynamic music can be in terms Mm. of songwriting um, and in terms of like the concept behind albums. Um, And also this is just like a very aggressive album um, and is sort of like, uh, I don't know, debaucherous in a lot of ways that, you know, was not something I would have been into like years prior. Um, So this album is probably still one of my favorite albums of all time. And it is, uh, is a real boy by the band say anything hmm. and this is the song alive with the glory of love should also say that the song is about uh written from the perspective of max bemis's the singer the singer's uh grandfather who was a holocaust survivor so all this is like taking place like during the holocaust do what you will with that is this where you learned about the holocaust <laughs> yeah. um uh, yeah but I, only a couple weeks ago did i realize what it was actually about Sorry, what? What? How old were you? What? What year is this when you were listening to it? Um, probably around like 13, 14. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I loved this album so much, and 
I just remember just being so struck by like the theatricality of it. Like th- that is probably like the most like radio friendly, like that was like the single and is the song that a lot of people know from like the 2000s, you know, pop punk emo era of music when they think of like say anything. Mm. But there are so many other songs that I could have brought in, but they're not really great to listen to on the pod because like they have so many different movements within them and the songwriting is really incredible. And yeah, like the entire album like was sort of conceptualized as like a rock opera and was like going to become a rock opera. But like Max Bemis had like a mental breakdown while he was recording it and just decided that he wanted to make it like an album. But he recorded the entire album by himself, I think, except for maybe the drums. So he like wrote all the guitar parts and stuff like that. And yeah, I just I, I love the album. It's so incredibly angsty and angry. And there's a sense of vitality to it that mm. I just had never really been exposed to. And it mm. really like challenge my preconceptions of even music like like pop punk and emo music as being like that basic like four chord structure that we associate with bands like blink 182 or saves the day or green day um and i just really loved like the artistry behind all of it um and it really rocked my world wow yeah did you are you are you familiar with say anything at all you sent me this album earlier this year because I think we were going to talk about it. I think on I a previous episode, but it yeah. was scrapped. Yeah, it was scrapped. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, so when you sent it to me, I, had, I actually already had it loaded on my on my phone. So oh, I was like, gotcha. oh, okay, cool. No, I was yeah. really into this. Yeah, it's pretty pretty remarkable. We might we might we might revisit it at some point on a, on a later app. But um, yeah, that's is a real boy. If I say anything. Um, all right. Round three. Round three. Okay. Um, so I have to say this album kind of goes in tandem with a, my fascination in high school with, uh, reading sort of artists biopics and then Mm. responding to the, the music. Um, Probably the most influential book that I read when I was in middle school was Scar Tissue by Anthony Kiedis. Uh-huh. Yes. Which, unfortunately, a friend of mine left um, on his camp trip to Israel. <laughs> um, so I'm still waiting for that to be uh, sh- uh, postmarked to me. Right. <laughs> um, uh, I remember reading this article in the New York Times Magazine. And it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't the the Dick Cheney Iraq war op-ed. This was, a, <laughs> a, this was an article about the artist MIA. And in my public speaking class, I had to read a huge section of this article and then talk about like what it meant to me. Right. And I was really taken by MIA's personal history, her sort of like, grab bag of influences like she's sampling from music scenes all over the world she's rapping she's singing her her video aesthetic and her album aesthetic is also very diy Mm -hmm. and she's also just like she just wears her heart on her sleeve right right so i knew one of the songs from this album one of the most famous millennial songs of all time paper planes right um but i remember listening to this album and just having my mind blown as for like how much you can kind of pack into something 
and how vast your musical influences can be. Right. And I, I would say like I was also listening to the Beatles and I can say the same thing about like Sgt. Pepper's or Revolver. Sure. But I, I think I responded more to the DIY, her DIY aesthetic. Gotcha. Is she on, is she Sri Lankan? Yes. Okay. Yes. I thought, I thought she was. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, and the album is called what? Kala. Kala. And this is, is this, I think this is the opening track, right? This is right? the opening track. It's called Bamboo Banga. All right. Here we go. Oh, I also had a huge crush on her too. I mean, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some things don't would. need to be said. <laughs> And this is also my senior year of high school. Mm. Were you listening to a lot of rap at this point? Yeah, but not the whole album. Mm, you know. Gotcha. And this is probably also very different from any of the rap that you found yourself listening to. Totally, totally different than listening to Lil Wayne in the hockey locker room. Right. <laughs> yeah, this album is this is hardcore. Yeah. It's really, it's, that was a lot more hardcore than a lot of people may. I mean, Paper Planes is kind of hardcore in its own in its own yeah. way. It was very um, memed, though. It was very memed. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I I I don't I haven't spent as much time with this album as I as I should. It's one of those albums that like I definitely like listened to when I was on like a tear of like listening to like different albums on like best of the decade list yeah, or best whatever. Best of the 2000s, totally, um, totally. But haven't really sat with as much as I as much as I should. But it is crazy to see sort of like just I don't know the the seeds that were planted like through mm. like the production of this album and just some of like the different like I don't know like convergences of genres um, mm. that I feel like you're definitely seeing like in a lot of music um, like that exists now. Obviously, oh yeah. Um, like I feel like I don't know. I feel like someone like Charlie XCX probably like fucks with MIA. To some degree, one thousand percent. I mean, you can hear like like Sophie. I mean, R.I.P. Sophie mm-hmm. Hudson Mohawk, mm. um, like all of those guys, like all the like the Glaswegian. Yeah, um, John. That means they're from like, the city of Glasgow, Scotland. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> if you say so. Um. All right. We'll move on to uh, my third pick, and um. Yeah, so at this point, I'm starting to leave behind my my Christian music roots. Not totally. I'm still spinning some Christian albums. I'm still sp- I'm still spinning mm-hmm, by Reliant K every now and then. <laughs> Say anything, kind of like just introduce me to just like a certain type of like angst that was very personal in a lot of ways mm. and was very fueled by like 
things pertaining to like mental illness and loneliness and sexual frustration with as with a lot of pop punk a little misogyny sprinkled in there as well um but that really like for clarifying that yeah yeah i I could talk more about that Uh, i'll explain that to you uh, afterwards pat that's bad that we we don't want that in our music yeah okay um but yeah, a lot of that was much more, like, inwardly focused. And it definitely, like, opened up the possibilities of writing about certain things and mm. expressing yourself yourself in, like, certain ways that, like, might not have been as, like, um, I don't know, sanitized as, like, my Christian upbringing might have pushed me toward. Um, but the following album really exposed me to, like, the possibility of writing about something that really extends beyond yourself and sort of, like, fuses the personal and the political Hmm. and it's an album by a little artist named connor oberst (laughs) whom you might know by his band name bright eyes so this album i want to play the intro but i'm not going to because it's super long but this album begins as most bright eyes actually I i think as all bright eyes albums do with the spoken word sort of like thing and just picture what has happened is a description of a woman being on a plane and then trying to make conversation with the man next to her. And then the plane starts, uh, the the engines cut out and the plane is falling. And then um, this is what you hear. I'm going to skip a little bit. She says, she says, where are we going? And uh, and he looks at her and he says, we're going to a party. It's a birthday party. It's your birthday party. Happy birthday, darling. We love you very, 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 very much. And then uh, he starts humming this little tune, and and uh, it kind of goes like this. It's kind of one, two, one, two, three, four. Talk and never telephone, get eaten off the web. Must rip out all the epilogues from the books that we have read. Into the face of every criminal strap from Yes, I would play the song on my guitar and I would sing it and I would also include the spoken word introduction whenever I would do it. Must take all of the medicines too expensive now to sell. Set fire to the preacher who is promising us hell. Into the ear of every anarchist that sleeps but doesn't dream. We must sing, we must sing, we must sing. It'll go like this, alright. While my mother waters plants, my father loads his gun. He says death will give Okay, you get the idea. I hate to cut it off, but yeah so that was really that's like that's john lemay's first like mm. indie album like i had sort of prided myself on like listening to like alternative music like music that like you know wasn't considered mainstream but there was always like a certain level of polish to it just like you can hear that i mean less so with say anything but definitely with like reliant k and you know a lot of it, a lot of it was pop punk and was like rock and had distortion and all that kind of stuff and this was like yeah, just like one of the first bands or albums I listened to that was like, you know, more folk inspired, has a sort of like uh, an alt country vibe to it. And just like really opened, it opened me up to like the possibility of different genres. Like it definitely pushed me outside of like my comfort zone with like the world of pop punk and emo. And it just opened my, it opened me up to like the possibility of music that was like 
kind of sort of written for adults. I mean, this album probably was listened to by a lot of high schoolers, but like at least it was again like being written about like in a lot of indie magazines mm. um, or indie music magazines, and yeah, like had some like had some bite to it. Like it was an album that was in many ways was about like the Iraq war and was about like president Bush. Um, I don't know why I called him president Bush <laughs> going back to my, going back to my, uh, <laughs> my, my 2004 Old habits die so hard. Don't they? Yeah, truly. Um, <laughs> and I, I should say, I didn't agree with a lot of what Connor Oberst was saying sure. because I was a Republican and I was, you know, within the next few Save years, the people in the back, <laughs> I had a had a McCain Palin sticker on my locker, but at least like intellectually, I appreciated that he was writing about oh. something that was like beyond himself, and like again was like a fusion of the personal and the political that I, um, that I just really yeah I really was very into, and you know it has it also like he's just is such like an uh, an avatar of like that sad indie boy Mm. you know he was wearing the guy liner and had like the swoopy hair and like had sort of like this lethargic like languishing sort of you can say he was your hero he was my hero yeah he's what i aspired to then and and now um but i really just love that whole vibe and love like the commitment to to the vibe um and yeah, God, I was like so insufferable with like forcing people to listen to um, <laughs> to this album and to his music. And I just like like enjoyed seeing people wrestle with the fact that like, oh, he can't really sing. And the production style is like pretty like bare and minimalistic in some of those earlier albums. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm Wide Awake It's Morning. Um, total game changer of, of an album for me. This is my last concert of high school was Bright Eyes. Oh, I'm still so Bright jealous Eyes, that you've seen him. E. Yeah. Incredible. Did he play that song? No, he didn't, but um, he played quite a few from the... He did play Landlocked Blues on this album. Yeah. Incredible. And Poison Oak. Yeah. There's a... I have a story behind that song, but I will... I will... I will not share that on the pod. Um, It's a conversation for off the pod, probably. Uh Um, Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, All right. What do you got next? Yeah. So, um, I want to talk about... um, an album that definitely influenced me because of its uh, sort of Tumblr aesthetic. Mm, we love it. Um, I was really struck by this artist's mixtape. It's really a mixtape. I listened to it the summer between my senior year uh, and freshman year of college, first year of mm-hmm. college. And actually a family friend uh family friends came over and their son uh who had really great taste he was like do you know odd future and i said yeah i loved odd future i loved tyler Mm -hmm. i loved earl i loved the whole talk about like fuck you aesthetic yeah yeah there was a reason why they were so big then and there was a reason why it like resonated so much with angry white kids yes right right? (laughs) but it it hit regardless and he was like do you know the guy who's in the song She, which is off a a Tyler album called um, Goblin? And I said, oh, yeah, that part's so beautiful. And he's like, well, he has a mixtape. So we went on Dat Piff, <laughs> and I listened to this, and I was so fucking blown away. I was blown away because he does the thing which all fun rappers do on mixtapes, which is they rap over beats that aren't theirs. Right. But this guy chose Coldplay. 
He chose um, the Eagles. And all of his lyrics were extremely vivid. Yeah. And he was really much influenced by movies. And I always thought he had the coolest fucking Tumblr. It was like effortlessly cool. It was like movie screenshots and Mm -hmm. cars. Mm -hmm. And it was just like this guy can really conjure up worlds with each one of his songs. Right. Obviously, this guy's name is Frank Ocean. And he's gone on to, you know, some of the great, you know, listeners of this podcast know that we've talked about him plenty. Right. And he, we don't need to talk about how, how wonderful he is. But, but I kind of, I, I get kind of sad that this, this mixtape is totally forgotten. Obviously, right. it's not on streaming because the, none of the rights are purchased. And, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah. Again, it was, it was also a very DIY aesthetic. All these albums kind of have that in common, I think. Yeah. For me. And, um, yeah, he was in a label dispute with Def Jam and he just said, fuck you and released it on his own. Right. So I want to, I want to listen to the song American Wedding where he, um, he sings over a little song called Hotel California. Yeah. Listen to a little bit of the intro and then cut to Frank's crooning. Skip forward a little bit. I took a walk with the palm trees as the daylight fell. Sangria in the canteen, talking to myself. This tattoo on my left hand is turning purple as blue. Daydreams of the romance. Daydreams of you, my pretty woman in a ball gown, I'm Richard Gere in a tux, getting married in the courthouse, writing vows in a rush, making now before the judge, my teenage wife, got a wedding band done, that I just might die with. It's an American wedding. One of my uh, one of my earliest memories of you is uh, you singing not not this song but singing uh, Novocaine uh, in one of our in our acting class our intro to acting class. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. Did I? Yeah, you did because there was like a scene or you were doing like some sort of exercise and you were like really like in the zone and like our acting teacher told you to sing like the a song and you sang the song and you sang Novocaine. How was it? It was great. It was incredible. Oh wow! Yeah, you were really, you were really on your voice. Uh, sure. Really on your voice. Sure. Um, for better or for worse. Um, yeah, this album is obviously incredible. I, I, I obviously love Frank Ocean, and I, I got into him later than than Pat did. Um, I got into him right before Channel Orange came out. Mm. Um, so this album didn't hit for me immediately. But, um, yeah, it sort of represents like his artistry and audacity, um, like in a very a sort of early iteration that you would see like kind of manifest later on in his career in different ways. And you said that you found this when, when it first, when it first came out. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So that would have been what? Uh, end 2011. Of high okay. So end of high school, beginning of college. End of high school. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Awesome. 
Um, well, speaking of end of high school, um, and speaking of also like lyrical vividness, um, so the album that I'm bringing in, so we're actually going back a little bit. So the album that I'm, my fourth album that I brought in is also a Christian album. Um, sure. Uh, these guys are considered sort of like by people who listen to Christian music, but who also like music to be good. They are essentially considered like universally to be like the best Christian band like of all time. Um, and this is a band called Me Without You. Um all one word, uh, but me is lowercase and you is uppercase. Um, it's important. And <laughs> this was a this was a band that I I knew of for a while, but wasn't really into because like for a while I didn't really listen to much music that involved like screaming of any sort. And even when I did, like I wanted sort of a more polish uh, in in terms of like the overall music and like just neatness of the kind of that you would find in bands like Under Oath or Norma Jean. Um, and but later on, like Norma I had to, Jean. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but later on, I this was a band that I just started revisiting, especially as I started writing more because mm. we'll, we'll listen to a song in a second and you can listen to the lyrics because they're so important, but they're just, the lyrics are really incredible and it made me appreciate just like good, well-written lyrics in a way that I really hadn't for a while or kind of like saw, it was an example of a band whose lyrics could really exist on their own apart from the music. Mm. Um, and I could say a lot more about the band, but I think you kind of to get to get a sense of what they're like. Uh, it's important to just listen sooner rather than later. So this is um, the album is called Brother Sister, and it's from the band Me Without You. And the song is called In a Sweater Poorly Knit. This has a very long, sort of atmospheric intro. And I'll skip a little bit. There we go. In a sweater poorly knit and an unsuspecting smile Little Moses drifts downstream in the Nile Fumbling reply, an awkward rigid laugh And I'm carried helpless by my floating basket raft Your flavor in my mind is back and forth between Sweeter than any wine, as bitter as mustard greens And it's light and dark as honeydew and pumpernickel bread Trap I set for you seems to have caught my leg instead. So I mentioned that this was like a band that like had a lot of like streaming and stuff like that. And they did in their earlier albums, but this is like a more sort of folky, I don't even know what you would call it, but there are much more like layers and dynamics that work sure. in this album. Um, so I'll cut it there. As I, as I said with Say Anything, like it's hard to, yeah, it's hard to like, bring in an, a song that's totally representative of what they do because so much of their music is playing with dynamics and the songwriting is really incredible but yeah it just really it really informed my writing for a long time hmm. um the lyrics are like the song that i just brought in has like a sort of um ballad quality to it and it is very obviously about it's a story it's a story of moses that is kind of used as like a jumping off point for some other things but a lot of these songs do wrestle with doubt in a very honest way and like even like the 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 band themselves they had a lot of like acclaim in christian music circles but they were like super anti-war they were um 
like I think the the singer, like his mother is Muslim and his father is Christian, so he was always talking about like finding a blend of like different religions, which was like mm. kind of crazy for like the community that I was raised in. And yeah, I, I would say crazy. Yeah, um, they like they were like notoriously they drove around in a in a van that ran on vegetable oil, and they the lead singer is, was was known to go foraging for like or scavenging for like food in like dumpsters like people would see him like going to like the back of like venues and like he would like open up dumpsters and would like take food out and just like eat it um so they had a sort of like really crunchy granola vibe to them that i found really cool i actually wrote one of my ap english essays on them we were we were supposed to write about um a, a living poet it was called the live poets um society mm. and we were supposed to write about like a living poet and i convinced my english teacher to let me write about this band and aaron weiss's uh lyrics um because it was just something i was so crazy about um and yeah and once again it's just like opened me up to different to different styles um sure you know you hear like in that you hear like harp and accordion um mm. and then you just have like more straight ahead rock songs and it just like gave me like an appreciation for just like how like diverse music can be um and even like how diverse like a single band's discography um can be sure so that's me without you the album brother sister how was your essay how did it turn out turned out pretty good i think i got like yeah. a solid a minus on it i mean it okay. was like i mean looking back at it now i i recently stumbled upon it and like the lyrics are really incredible, but like obviously now, just like knowing what I know about poetry, like I probably would have been served a little bit better to write about like an actual poet. Um, sure, but uh, yeah, I think it was uh, I think it was a pretty good essay, and it, it really worked out well because because like I said, their their lyrics are incredible. Like mm. I was just showing them to um, Sarah Patochny, a former former guest of the pod, and she's also a poet and a writer, and she was like commenting on just like how beautiful their lyrics are uh, sure so if you have two poets uh what shipping your lyrics then you're doing something right who's moses again moses uh the leader of the israelites uh, uh, egypt let okay. my people go the prince of egypt okay voiced by val kilmer um rightfully <laughs> so <laughs> yeah we won't talk about that um yeah so it's about him like being put like you know he was floating in the nile in a basket that kind of stuff okay yeah, we'll talk about it that off the pod too. Yeah, we'll, sure. I'll, I'll, That's for next week's Bible study. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, what do you got for your fifth album? So I have like a beginning of college album here, kind of going against the grain. Mm-hmm. This is when I feel like I got to Skidmore, and I feel like in two weeks I listened to ten years of music or ten <laughs> years of. Pitchfork's best new tracks, best right. new albums. Um, and I stumbled upon this album as one of the, as part of the best new music, best new tracks. And I was fascinated by the mythology of this rapper mm-hmm. as someone who was picked up by Rockefeller and then picked up by 50 Cent's uh, G Unit crew and was kind of just like the odd man out wherever Mm -hmm. he was kind of like picked up right and he for his his uh for his this album that we're going to talk about which he released um when he turned 30 the album is called 30 he doubled down on himself Mm. 
And I think what's always been interesting to me about Danny Brown is that he is somebody who always talks about his influences. He was he always talks about like um, reading music reviews and reading blogs and kind of being like a real like internet kid, mm-hmm. which is definitely something I related to. And I also was very struck by his his sort of genuine responses to being like, yeah, I was like obsessed with this rapper and I like took this in and, you know, he was just kind of like, and all through the album, it's extremely hedonistic Mm -hmm. because he really thought like, okay, if it doesn't work this time, it's never going to work. Right. Right. The do or die kind of situation. Um, Which I found really extremely engaging. Um, And uh, yeah. Yeah. And then as he's gotten older in his career, it's definitely kind of he has calmed down immeasurably. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll always remember this album as kind of just like this sort of like portrait of a wild man, (laughs) you know, at at one moment. And I want to listen to the last track, which is called 30. Um, And I'm going to go to a specific part here. Okay. When I used to pitch crack, I never learned to rap. Always knew how. Ever since the nigga ate, knew what I would do now. When I turned 28, they're like, what you gonna do now? And now a nigga 30. So I don't think you heard me that the last 10 years, I've been so fucking stressed. Tears in my eyes, let me get this off my chest. The thoughts of no success, got a nigga chasing death. Doing all these drugs over OD the next triple X. We should also say that the album is stylized like as Triple X, which sort of yes. like goes along with both it being him being 30, but also just like the hedonistic, launchy, hedonistic yes. aspect of yes. it. Yeah. You um, you weren't at Skidmore when he played for a big show, were you? I yes. You were yes. abroad. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fucking I know he wild like, show. Yeah, I mean I know he's like smoking blunts with kids and like yeah. giving out henny, like Yeah. 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 Um but I always I was really was maybe in the past week I've been really struck by the line the last ten years I've been so fucking stressed. Um <laughs> you know, I was I'm struck by I'm always struck by that kind of honesty in, sure. in the pursuit of, of artistic goals, artistic dreams. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's an incredible, incredible album. And and he's, uh, I, I do agree for sure that he has like sort of tamped down on that a little bit, but also like, I mean, he, uh, not, I'm not, it's not the album because it was um, old came after that. And then there was an album that came right after that. And I forget what it's called. Atrocity Exhibition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that album is also kind of like wild and like its own yes. sort of like subtle, more subtle ways. Yeah. Um, so he's kind of continued on that, on that track, but. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and this brings us to so so you this is beginning of college for you when yes, this is starting yes, to happen. Yes. Gotcha. This is like the first two weeks. Right. Right. Yeah. When you weren't listening to the Bonnie Vare album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, which on that note, so I'm also bringing us into like the very beginning of college and I'm kind of, I'm actually pulling an audible on what I sent you because I'm going to talk about that album to start off next week's episode. Okay, um, great. But if I were being totally accurate, I would probably have brought in the Bonnie Vare record, the self-titled or technically self 
not self-titled, uh, Bon Iver record, but sure. we already have an entire episode about that, so if you want to hear me talk about that ad nauseum, go back and listen to our, our 10th anniversary um, episode about that. But the album that I'm bringing in, um, just, you know, I don't know to what extent this necessarily, like, shaped my understanding or reshaped my understanding of music, because it's kind of, like, more of the same of a lot of what we've heard, but, mm. for, at least from me, but... I just spent so much time with this album my freshman year of college, and I think it just really captured, it sort of like provided a really nice like synthesis for like just what I wanted in my music and what I wanted in my art and sort of was just like a really nice encapsulation of like a sort of thematic, um, yeah, I don't know, a thematic thread that followed through so much of the music and the art that I put into my system, but was just like distilled really nice into nicely into a single album and is distilled really nicely into just the first minute or so of the song that we're about to listen to. So this is from the album On the Impossible Past by The Menzingers, and this is the mm. opening track, um, Good Things. Okay, so that's Good Things by the Menzingers. So, yeah, I mean, just like that entire idea of like having good things and watching them fall apart and reflecting on where you are as a result of those good things having fallen apart and you being brought to like such a low place. It was it was just something that I really I was struck by as I I, I heard this opening track and I really I thought about so much of the again, like the music that I love, but also like the 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 literature that i was reading and the movies that i liked and i just like i was struck by how much that like captures so much of what those those pieces of art explore and it's such a Mm. basic idea but like for for me at the age of like 18 19 um i don't know it was just totally like mind-blowing to me i mean even the album title the the album title on the impossible past is actually a reference to the book lolita um and it takes place it's like what happens in that book (laughs) um it's not good stuff as it turns out mm-hmm. um but the, the the ending of that book is it features the narrator reflecting on certain things that have happened to him and it, it makes him think about the impossible past like a past that is never can never be recovered sure. essentially and there's also like other references to like nabokov like later on in the album so it was just a cool like fusion of literature and 
music and it's a punk album but it also has like some poppy elements but it's not like it's not pop punk in the way that like blink 182 is like you can just tell in like their vocal style like that they're Mm. kind of like channeling some of like the pub punk kind of stuff um and the album is very much like about nostalgia like it features references to like the 50s and like chrome diners and i think there are some on the road references so it really like talks about this site on on the road (laughs) A book that you might like. Uh, I read it. You read it. Um, yeah. Uh, so it, it kind of talks about like just the idea of like this American dream and this irrecoverable American like idealism. And I don't know, it just all really hit for me and it allowed me to really like think about albums, you know, as texts, essentially, like as texts that convey themes that are similar to, you know, the novels I was reading or the the movies I was watching. Um and the poetry that I was writing, you know, because mm. like it was at a time when I was feeling really sad and was really lonely and had only recently started to get hip to like some of the mental illness stuff that I was struggling with. Sure. And granted, like nothing really had happened to me at that point, but I felt like a lot of things had happened to me. So it really sure. like I just remember like that lyric, like um, uh, was it I've been having a horrible time pulling myself together. Um, I've been closing something something to find that old familiar failure um just like all of those ideas um were things that really resonated with me and allowed like me to i don't know make sense out of my life even though again the the stakes were pretty low at that point i also sang this song it's not a competition john that's true everyone's suffering is maximum to them it's true we're all fighting for our lives we're all fighting for our lives um, I also sang this song in an acting class, not one that you were in, but an act- there was another acting class where we were asked to bring in a song, and I, I sang the opening, the opening uh, bars of this one. Did it kill? Uh, I mean, it wasn't really supposed to. Um, or did people made... call the Skidmore Counseling Center? And after? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was there pretty often already, so they 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 had my number. Um, so yeah, that brings, that brings us to the end of, uh, the end of this episode, but brings us really to the beginning of, of college. So I would imagine that, uh, for next week's episode, we'll probably be picking it up, uh, where we left off. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, some more for me, it'll get a lot more ratchet. Um, yeah, for me, it won't get ratchet, but it will be a little, it'll be less of the same. Like, I feel okay. like I was definitely starting to get exposed to like new genres and was leaving like my pop punk emo roots behind. But like that, what, that was what a lot of what I was listening to was really at the end mm. of the day. So it's going to become a little more dynamic. Um, and who knows, we might, we might have a, a repeat, uh, a repeat artist in my, uh, in my Ooh. list. Um, so uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, do we want to do just a quick recap of the of the albums that we brought in? Sure. Yeah, I brought in "The Terror State" by Anti Flag, "Is This It" by The Strokes, "Kala" by M.I.A., "Nostalgia Ultra" by Frank Ocean, and "Triple X" by Danny Brown. Um, I brought in uh, Mm-hmm by Reliant K, Is a Real Boy by Say Anything, I'm Wide Awake It's Morning by Bright Eyes, Brother Sister by Me Without You, and On the Impossible Past by The Menzingers. 
Um, so hopefully you have not found this to be as typical and as uh, much of a self-fulfilling parody as, uh, as you expected it to be. Um, probably a mixture, probably a mixture of the expected and the unexpected, maybe. Um, but yeah, we hope that you will tune in uh, for next week uh, because we have, we have more, more stuff in store um, that will allow you to see why we are the way that we are. Um, you got anything that you want to plug or mention, Pat? Oh, shit. I, 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 the, the podcast commercials running behind. I have to okay, be honest. Okay. It's running a little behind. So don't keep an eye out for that. Don't keep an eye on that. Yeah. Tam- tamper down on your expectations on yes. that. Um, but do keep your eyes posted on the Instagram for uh, other stuff. And if you are not following us uh, on the Instagram, yeah. uh, do do please do so at Pat and John on their best behavior. Um, and as ever, uh, please uh, leave a rating and a review if you are enjoying what you're hearing, because uh, we love uh, we love hearing from folks. Um, otherwise, uh, stay tuned for part two. Uh, and uh, we love you guys. Thank you for being here, listeners. You are enough. Bye-bye. <laughs>